Anyone need a Bible? If you do, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, Okay, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, part 6. We've been in these uh, Beatitudes. Uh, many of them, uh, many f uh, people think these are sort of the Ten Commandments of the New Testament. They are, um, as I've been trying to emphasize, a description of the Christian life. They're not a list of things that need to be done to get into heaven. They are not things that just monks and priests and uh, really, really holy people do. They um, are nothing more, nothing less than a description of anybody who follows Jesus. They're not necessarily manifested abundantly. The second someone uh, uh, starts a relationship with Jesus, but um, over time they become more and more of an expression, if you are seeking the Lord. This morning, blessed are the peacemakers. We're one more week, uh, and we uh, will have completed the Beatitudes, meaning the blessed. What leads to a blessed life? And this is Jesus um, speaking to the multitude, all of them, all of us, we want a blessed life. Uh, but Jesus is... Uh, speaking about the road to get there, not the same road that the world would take to get to a blessed life. Peace. Peace with man. Peace with oneself. In the 300, the 3,000 rather, 500 years of recorded human history, there have only been 286 years without war. There have been something like 8,000 peace treaties. The average lifespan of the peace treaty, two years. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of peace organizations. Go to the web. You can find them uh, on your own. Peace Action, United States Institute of Peace, United for Peace and Justice, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, Victorian Peace Network, Bridges for Peace, PeaceProtest.net, Americans for Peace Now, Hague Appeal for Peace, Peace Brigades International, Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, Seeds of Peace, and the list goes on hundreds if not thousands of peace 
groups. However, during the very time that uh, peace groups have increased exponentially, war has increased exponentially. In fact, there are 40 wars going on even as we speak. Last century saw the most concerted organized peace effort in the history of the world. The League of Nations was started, the United Nations, their primary mission to bring about world peace. The creation of these organizations was unprecedented, in fact, unthinkable up to the time they were uh, formed. I mean, you know, nations of the world, basically all of them getting together and deciding that they were going to work together towards peace. I mean, it was unthinkable. I, I mean, never would anyone have ever imagined such of, uh, of an achievement prior to then. But in spite of such supposed unprecedented action for peace, more people died in war last century than all other centuries combined. Peace with man. For all his well-intentioned efforts, man's efforts have come up woefully short. How about peace with self, peace with one's self? Unfortunately, it's a similar tale. We have today more books, more programs, more counseling, more psychiatrists, more group therapy, more religions, more meditative exercises, more, above all, more prescription drugs, all designed to achieve inner peace. We have more of those than, again, all human history has ever had to offer. In spite of that, there's more suicide, more mental illness, more widespread discontent than there has ever been. The proliferation of wealth and education has not stopped the proliferation of discontentment. People are still desperate for inner peace. A few months ago, there was a rave concert in Germany with over a million people in attendance. One million people. You know, when I was a kid, Led Zeppelin, had 600,000, and they had to cancel it after the first song because it started raining, and everyone marveled over that. But this was a million people, and it was the most people who had ever attended um, a concert. I, I just can't even imagine the sound system. Uh, Greg, you need to get with those guys. I mean, can you imagine Awesome God being pounded out with those speakers? I mean, you know, <laughs> But you may say, well, wow, that's really cool, a million people. Well, no, not really, considering that rave for most, not all, but for most is a form of escape uh, aided by ecstasy, uh, a sort of a, a stimulant, a, a drug that has the effect of reducing inhibitions. And for most, rave concerts are a brief escape from discontentment and disillusionment. A million people going to one of these things. I remember when I worked for a summer in London, and the Dire Straits uh, came to London and sold out 15 straight nights at Wembley Stadium. 80,000 people fit in that stadium. 15 straight nights. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine. He was an artist. He was uh, not um, a Christian. Neither was I. But anyway, he was greatly distressed at this. Even though, if I remember correctly, he was a great fan of Dire Straits. Um, 
I remember him just being distressed, and he's like, people are so desperate, they're so depressed, and, and you know, this is the only outlet. And, and again, he was not attacking the dire straits. He was just, uh, he had been given some insight that, you know, this wasn't necessarily a good thing. This wasn't necessarily something to think, uh, to, to rejoice um, about. The world is so mired in discontent, it rushes desperately in mass from one thing to the next, whether it's uh, some new form of uh, music or a, a rock band or a charismatic political figure or an athlete or, or the newest fashion. I read an article, a, a very interesting article the other day about high fashion, the world of high fashion. And uh, the article was talking about the, all these runway shows in Paris. You know, those runway models that, you know, come up and down the, the runway. And, um, you know, one of the things that the article asked was, who on earth buys these dresses? I, I mean, you know, you have women coming out like, you know, they look like a tropical bird or something, you know. <laughs> or, or like Cleopatra to the fourth power. But, 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 um, and, but anyway, this article is asking, who buys these dresses? Uh, um, you know, if anyone ever showed up on the street with them, they'd think, wow, we're being like attacked from the planet Amazon or something. And, and what the article said was, was that really no one does. No one buys these dresses, or, or very, very few actually, buy any of these dresses. Not only that, um, they lose a ton of money on this particular line of their business. But they do it for one purpose, and that is to keep the public mesmerized with the brand name. So the, the thinking is, well, you know, Betty and Sue or whoever, uh, you know, they're not going to buy a Versace dress that looks like a tropical bird, but they will go to Lord and & Taylor and buy Versace stockings for 20 bucks. And so what they're really doing here is they're playing on, and, and ba all business does this. I'm not poking on the business of high fashion. There's nothing in and of itself that's wrong with going into that business, but there's, there's, they're playing on a deep, profound, simmering discontentment in society, trying to convince women uh, to, that they can be like, or, or like somebody or something that they are not and never can be. Now, the irony is the women they are trying to be like, uh, they don't really exist. I mean, it's all a fantasy. I mean, no one wears the dresses. Uh, and, and, uh, and what Steffi and I found, we uh, served at a church in Miami Beach, uh, which is one of the international meccas of, of fashion, along with Paris and, and, and Milan and New York. Uh, what we found is that these very models, who, who many of them were at our church, male and female, they were just as discontent, uh, if not more, than everyone else. And, and so imagine the picture. What an irony. Discontent women trying to be like discontent women. Well, you know, that's a picture. That's a picture of the world. I don't know if any of you have heard of Georges Simeon. He is the second most translated author in history uh, after Lenin. Of course, that's excluding the Bible. But after Lenin, Georges Simeon, he's written 408 novels. He, um, he just enormously successful. I mean, how do you get more successful than that? I mean, being the most translated person alive. And uh, he was quoted as saying this, though. I have only one ambition left to be completely at peace with myself. I don't think I shall ever manage it. I don't think it is possible for anyone. It is not a question of money because that kind of happiness must come from within yourself. I don't know any man, however successful, 
who is completely happy. As for me, I continue to write because if I don't, I should die. Peace with man, peace with self. The world is forever striving for both of them, never seeming to get a taste of either. Why? Why is it? Why is peace with man and peace with oneself so elusive? The Bible has an answer. It's a very clear one. It says that peace with man and peace with oneself is not only elusive, it's impossible without peace from God. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches very explicitly that every man, every woman, comes out of their mother's womb at enmity with God. In other words, they come out of their womb with a lack of peace with God. Conflict. Literally, the Bible says, at war with God. Ephesians 2 says that we were born dead spiritually, dead in our trespasses and sins, by our nature, enemies of God. Now, for some of you, you may think this is maybe a little bit too hard to take. I mean, you know, you see those babies and Michelin tires on TV commercials, and you're thinking, oh, come on, I mean, or those Gerber babies, and, and you think, wow, you know, babies, I mean, if anyone's innocent, it's them. If anyone's sort of pure and innocent, it's them. Well, I invite you to come to my house and hang out with my two-year-old, Faith. <laughs> Faith, like every one, uh, every other one of my uh, two-year-olds, will sit in the middle of the living room screeching at the top of her lungs. I mean, one of these days, I just know she's going to screech a lung out. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I, now, she screams not because she's hurt, not because she's tired, not because someone was uh, mean to her, but because she wants a Frito. A Frito. You know, Frito Bandito Frito. That she wants a Frito. You know, Sam, her, her brother, will be eating a Frito right in front of her. You know, like that. And, and she'll just start... I mean, screaming, and, and uh, if it's not a Frito, it's a Popsicle. If it's not a Popsicle, it's a donut. If it's not a donut, it's an Oreo. If it's not an Oreo, it's a banana. Um, now, she didn't learn this screeching stuff from me. I mean, if she had hang, hung out with me 20 years ago, I would wonder, but, uh, you know, I don't sit on my living room floor going, Rah! You know, with my veins popping out and all this stuff, I, you know, I, I don't do that. And, and not, neither do I, um, you know, invite others to uh, my house who, who do that either. And, and um, <laughs> some of you are thinking, well, he invites Mike over, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it's just not the screaming, it's just not the screaming and anger stuff. It, before my kids went off to school, and this is nothing against them. In fact, it's true of every little tiny kid. They, they, you look at them, and they look so cute, but they're lying and cheating and stealing. And, 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 and you know, I remember when Elise was uh, three years old. And um, I saw a $20 bill on the counter, and I saw Elise, and then I looked away, and I, I didn't see the $20 bill, and I didn't see Elise. And I went up. 
and she could barely make it up the stairs. But I went to her piggy bank, and that thing was stuffed inside her piggy bank. And I'm like, uh, you know, taking it out. And, and don't tell me she doesn't know. I look, you can tell she knew just by the way I looked at her with that $20 bill, you know, that, that look of, of guilt um, on her face. And let me tell you, she didn't learn that from Barney. She didn't learn it from me either. She didn't learn it in Sunday school. Colossians 1.21 says, prior to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, prior to, be borning, to being born again by the Spirit of God, prior to you receiving into your life what Jesus did for you on the cross, prior to taking on his life, his righteousness, Colossians 1.21 says, you were once alienated and enemies of God. And, and now, I grant you, very few of us ever thought that way. In fact, we had an emotional love uh, by God, but um, we were alienated by the works of our life. It, go, it, it says, let me just read the whole verse. It says, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good exchange. I mean, but going from an enemy to be presented holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. Romans 5.10 says the same thing. It says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, death of, through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, are we saved by his life? The problem is we live in a lost world that has not been reconciled to God. Now, here is where the never-ending wars come in. We've done sort of a big circle, and we're coming back to war now. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it also says the fruit of the natural man, the fruit of the natural man, is hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, and murders. Let me tell you, this is the recipe for war. Hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, envy, and murders. That's the recipe for war. James uh, chapter 4 says this, where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. There's a verb, war. You war. The natural man wars against God, and as a result, wars against each other. This is what the Bible teaches. You can start international peace organizations. You can finance them with uh, millions of dollars. The United Nations had $3 billion uh, uh, last year. You can light candles for peace. There's some organization on the web that's gotten like 7 million people to light a candle on the web. You can meditate simultaneously with all like-minded, peaceful people. I have a friend who as a part of some organization, they all get up at 5 a.m. you know, one uh, time of the year and they meditate for peace, you know, all at the, uh, the same time. Uh, you can march for peace. You can sing for, for peace. There's some organization now that strips for peace. But if you don't resolve, the Bible teaches, if you don't resolve the issue of man's enmity, enmity, it's sort of a fancy word which just means sort of conflict and op opposition, enmity with God, the wall of separation between him and God, all those efforts would fail. The last hundred years of history have proved it. If man does not replace the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, 
with the Holy Trinity, God the Father, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, there is going to be enmity, enmity between man and man. Now, do you ever become a part of a peace group? Well, you better if God's telling you to. Uh, this isn't about against peace groups. Well, the, the point here is that you, you, you better not think that's a substitute for the saving power of the Son of God taking away the enmity between man and God. War will continue as long as man is at war with God. Put it another way, when there is peace between man and God, there will be peace between man and man. I was a history major in college, and so one of the things you guys have to suffer through is an occasional history lesson. Hope you won't suffer too much, because I think this is a wonderful, a fabulous example of this principle, that when there is enmity between God and man, there will be enmity between man and man. When there is peace between God and man, there will be peace between man and man. The example I want to give actually was in the late 1700s, early 1800s, a, a very bloody revolutionary time in Europe. There are movements breaking out all over Europe. Uh, the Industrial Revolution was well on its way. Uh, machines were replacing manual labor. Uh, people were moving from farms uh, into cities. Huge factories were sprouted up, and, and an emerging working class was created. And, you know, all of a sudden, they started realizing, you know, we don't have any representation in this government. And not only that, you know, what's with the system of the ruling class ruling by privilege uh, rather than merit? And meanwhile, the ruling class resisted any kind of change and um, so eventually the working class took matters into their own hands. Best example, the French Revolution. Uh, King Louis the Sixteenth was yanked out of his palace and he was executed. So was his wife and uh, many members of his family. Forty thousand. They went from there and killed by the guillotine with cheering crowds at most places. Forty thousand of their countrymen. Forty thousand. To make a long story short, many parts of Europe became awash in blood because of the discontented masses rising up against a, a compassionless, a stuffy, patronizing ruling class. But there was one place that was spared from virtually all of this. Not all, not all but virtually all. And that was Great Britain. Now, to some, this is a great mystery because the Industrial Revolution started there. It started there. I mean, there were more factories and more blight and more sort of big cities uh, sooner uh, and social problems that went with them than really anywhere else in Europe. There was also widespread discontentment. They had the same kind of royalty and, and ruling class that was self-centered and, and hanging on to their privilege, corrupt. Why the difference? Well, dig into history yourself. In the mid-1700s in England, there was a unique move of the Spirit of God. John Wesley, George Whitfield, and many others began going from city to city and throughout the countryside preaching that man 
needed to be reconciled with God. A very simple message that God loved them, that he had a message for them, and, and, uh, and that his son died for them, and they could be reconciled with God and, and live a life of joy and peace. And a tremendous religious revival broke out, arguably the biggest since the early church. And, you know, Wesley himself traveled 5,000 miles a year, 250,000 miles on horseback in his lifetime, preaching four to five sermons a day in, you know, different villages and, and, and cities. He oversaw, uh, he preached to thousands of people in open-air meetings, which had uh, never been done before. The, the church was absolutely aghast. The Church of England was aghast at what was going on around them. Uh, the Methodist Church uh, rose up with hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, uh, churches and societies being created throughout the countryside, hundreds of other Methodist preachers, you know, following, doing uh, uh, Wesley, his example. And, and now it's so important to understand that before all this got started, the religious climate in France and England was identical. The, it was dead. Dead. Large bureaucratic inst institutionalized churches relying on ritual and, and ceremony and tradition with little else little or no understanding of, of who Jesus really was, what he taught, the faith that he, uh, that he passed on uh, to his disciples. But the course of history in England took a radically different course because through a unique spirit of God, men and women began, these discontented masses started hearing that there was life beyond this life, that they were sinners in desperate need of reconciliation with God and that if they trusted their life to him, they would be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, that the kingdom of God was not about dead tradition and ritual. It was about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So instead of taking up arms against the kings and rulers, and instead of killing 40,000 men and women, the people of England devoted their lives to Christ. And, and guess what? Social reform came about faster there than anywhere else. But it was done peacefully. It, it was done, you know, and, and yet there was a riot from time to time, but, but it was mostly it was done peacefully through legislation, many of legislation being, you know, uh, being uh, brought forth by, by Christians themselves that were aghast at what was going on uh, in the country and avoided the ocean of blood that had been spilled right over the channel in France. Let me repeat Galatians 5, which I quoted earlier. The fruit of the natural man, Galatians 5.20, is hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath envy and murders. What happened in France was, is nothing at all against the French, by the way, I mean, but, but what happened there was caused by the very thing that always produces war. It's produced the war that's going on right now. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. What happened in England was the, the same thing that always, and I will tell you always when you have the real thing where a, a man or woman is reconciled with God, then the peace that passes understanding, uh, you know, enters into their life. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There was enough of that to go around to literally avoid uh, war. Blessed are the peacemakers, people who dedicate their lives to bringing other 
to Christ. Why will they be called sons of God? Uh, look at the example before us. Wars, literally, wars will be avoided. Now, the peacemakers that Jesus is talking about in, in Matthew 5, verse 9, are not the people who negotiate the end of wars. That's why this verse is so popular. That's why everyone knows about it. They just, but they completely misunderstand what he's talking about. Remember, our, our peace treaties are less than two years, and they're mostly just bought about by fear. What Jesus is talking about is so much more, so much more. He's talking about never making wars happen in the first place by man's heart being changed. You know, only God knows how much bloodshed was avoided. How many women and children were not made widows and orphans? How many soldiers were not maimed in battle, were not, did not come back from war, you know, emotionally scarred. There's twice as many people who have committed suicide from Vietnam than were killed in Vietnam. Because John Wesley and his band of preachers fanned out across Great Britain preaching the good news. They weren't, they didn't always do it perfectly, but their heart was in the right place. That, brothers and sisters, is peacemaking. Peacemaking makes war never happen in the first place. Now, obviously, there is a role when the war has already started. There's a, a, a role from a, for a man or a woman of God. But peacemaking makes wars never happen in the first place. You know, in a word, if you're taking notes, this is what to write down. Peace with God brings peace with oneself, which brings peace with man. Blessed are the peacemakers. A more literal translation, actually, is blessed are the peace workers, people who by their wor the words of their mouth sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and by the Christ-like life they lead work peace between people and God. Paul talked about a peacemaking ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why don't we turn there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It's, oh, five or six or seven books to the right of Matthew, something like that. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Does everyone know what reconciliation means, by the way, it just means when two parties are in conflict with one another and they come together in peace. Paul says, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul had a, a ministry of reconciliation. He recognized if anything is going to be peace on earth, it, it is man being reconciled to God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peace workers. 
Blessed are the people whose very life brings about peace between man and God. Blessed are who, those who share the love of Christ by telling the world uh, around them about Jesus. B uh, people who demonstrate the love of Christ in their life by loving the unlovable, by returning curses with blessings, insults with kindness, persecution with meekness and self-control. People who allow the life of God to live through them and as a result bring others to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we've been talking uh, about the Beatitudes for a number of weeks, and one of the things that I've mentioned is that there is a progression uh, that's going on here. In other words, you know, you sort of start off your walk, your Christian walk, with being poor in spirit, you, you know, then, this then there's a mourning over sin, there's a, there's a meekness that happens, and a hunger and thirst for God. And, and many people uh, feel like but th this particular beatitude is the very climax of the beatitudes, because remember, the next one has nothing to do with who you are. It's what uh, you're blessed because of something that happens to you, being persecuted, rather than something that you are. Blessed are the peacemakers. I, I got to agree. I mean, if anything is just an image of the life of Christ, it it's, a, it's, it's being a peacemaker. It it's, it's by your very life. It's bringing people uh, to Jesus. Nothing is more expressive of the life of Jesus Christ than bringing about peace between people and God. But let me conclude with this. You can't be a peacemaker unless you have peace with God. You can't be a peacemaker unless you have peace with God. That's not my words. That's, that's again, that's what the Bible teaches. And the question is, are you at enmity with God? Is there opposition between uh, you and God? H have you ever given your life to Christ? Jesus says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest, for I'm lowly in heart, and I am meek. John 3, the last verse says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In other words, if you are rejecting the only begotten Son of God whose body was broken and whose blood was poured out for you, the Bible says you're resisting, you're resisting God. Your life is opposed to God because the very gift that he's offering as a free gift to the world, you are resisting. Are you a Christian? You're still resisting God in your life. Are you, is God trying to take something from you or give something to you that you are just, just you're fighting with him about. Let's face it. You're fighting with him. Well, well let me tell you, you're in, you're, you by your very life, you're inhibiting, you'll be able to be a, a, a peacemaker, which I know you want to be. I, I know you guys, I know you want to be peacemakers. But, but if you're fighting with God in any area of your life, you're sort of, you're pulling the rug underneath what God wants to do with you. If any of you are at enmity with God, please settle it today. You know, church isn't for just sort of coming and hearing nice-sounding words. That was what the church was like before John Wesley and George Whitfield started, you know, touring around England. But that's not the church that, that Jesus created. The church is for men and women to come to a place to do business 
with God. If, if you are at enmity with God, you can settle it today or at least commit yourself to, to, to seeking Him out in this matter. And if there's any area, please, um, if, if you'd like to pray about with me or, or really anyone, I'm sure you can grab anyone around here. They'd be happy to pray with you about Please do. Please come up after the service uh, and, and pray with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. It's just, it is powerful, Lord. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes we don't fully understand it, but there's a power in it, Lord, that we, we know that you want to change us by. And Lord, you want to you change me, Lord. And Father, I just pray, just for all of us, Lord God, that you would put a finger, and if not a finger, just a hard hand on that area of our life, Lord God, that we're resisting you. It could be our whole life. Maybe there's some here who've never given their life. But Lord, I just pray that you would reveal your heart to the people in this room, a heart of love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, goodness. Reveal that to us, Lord. We are, we are surrounded by the opposite, Lord. We're surrounded by the opposite. Hatred, jealousies, heresies, Lord. And Lord God, we, you know, as, as that song goes, sanctify us by thy goodness, Lord. Draw us to you by your goodness. Your word says the it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance and women to repentance. I just pray, Lord, open up our eyes that we would see your heart there. Lord, we, we love you, Lord, and, and we do need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if anyone needs prayer, please come up. God bless you.